When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hello, welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I'm that woman, Liv, the one whose show this is. Well, this episode has been a wild ride. You see, initially, I thought we would be diving right back into the story of that dink, Theseus and his infamous and wonderful stepmother. But the more I wrote about his next steps, the more I realized we didn't yet know enough about the bulls of Crete and their origins. 
See, there's this bull that Theseus will be facing next time. And okay, I know there's lots of bulls in Greek mythology, and they tend to all have some fun stories attached. But here's the thing with the Marathonian bull. It weaves itself through so many iconic stories of Greek mythology, both in terms of the canon and my own deep obsession with certain stories, that it and the bull culture of Crete itself deserves its own damn episode. So here we are. But before we get there, a quick announcement. The other day, I had the privilege, the privilege, to watch one of my favorite horror, that's in quotation marks, movie, and discuss it with the queer and feminist horror movie podcast, Drinking and Screaming, some fun folks I met at the Vancouver Fan Expo before the world exploded. Sure, it's not mythology, but it is feminism, and it was super fun. We watched the movie, The Stuff from 1985, which has been one of my favorites for probably 20 years because it's insane, just ridiculous. Like, an ice cream alternative bubbles from the ground and people eat it, and it turns them into zombies. It's wonderful. And stay tuned at the end of this episode for a clip of that, and please subscribe to those guys so you can hear my episode when it comes out next Monday. Support indie podcasts, nerds. Again, they're called Drinking and Screaming. The island of Crete and its Minoan civilization are devoted to bulls. This is historically true and obviously deeply linked to mythology of that island. I mean, we call the historical civilization the Minoans after the character in mythology. That's a rare thing. I've talked about it here and there, but the bull mythology of Crete and the historical Minoan obsession and devotion to bulls is fascinating. We've got to talk about it. The bull jumping, the slash dancing, frescoes of Knossos are some of the most stunning examples of Bronze Age art. I would highly recommend you Google them because we're talking thousands of years BC, so very much earlier than anything Athens ever did. Thousands of years before any playwright wrote any damn thing, the Cretans were telling stories of bulls and their influence on their culture. Theirs is one of the oldest civilizations in the Mediterranean, and it was all about bulls. They had lots of dolphins, too. You should Google those dolphins. Anyway, the Cretans were incredible in their art. Mythologically, though, things are a little more complicated and, well, disturbing. This is episode 79, Europa and Minos's Bull Dynasty. The Marathonian Bull has seen some things. Our story begins not in Crete, but as you might recall, across the Mediterranean in ancient Phoenicia, modern Lebanon. There, you might remember, lived a young woman named Europa. Of course, I talked about her briefly in a very early episode of this podcast on Zeus and his horrific escapades with mortal and non-mortal women. She came up again when I talked about the origin of Thebes. But the thing about Europa is, she's just incredibly important, not only to Crete, but to Europe. It got its name from somewhere, and Europa is it. We've talked about her as she relates to Zeus, but less so as she relates to Crete and their bull worship as a whole. That's what today is for. In order to understand what happens next to Theseus, we have to get to know those bull people to the southeast. Europa was, of course, originally from Phoenicia, where she was a princess, daughter of the king of Tyre, and sister to my beloved hero, Cadmus. Like so many victims of Zeus, Europa was minding her business one morning, out picking flowers by the shore with some of her friends and servants. According to the Alexandrian poet Motius, retold by Edith Hamilton, Europa had woken from a dream that she couldn't shake. 
She dreamt of two continents, each shaped as a woman, possessed by a woman, and they both tried to claim Europa as their own. One, Asia, said she had birthed Europa and so owned her. The other was nameless and told Europa that Zeus would give her to this nameless continent. She was shaken and didn't want to try to sleep again, so she and her friends and servants wandered off to find themselves where they were then when Zeus came, picking flowers by the shore. There he sees her and he wants her. He will take her. But Zeus is, you know, both creative and utterly horrible. So he comes to Europa as a beautiful, mesmerizing, white bull. Apollodorus tells us that its breath smelled of roses, if you want to understand just how appealing Zeus made himself to this young girl. The bull catches Europa's attention right along the seashore, and she climbs aboard its back in an almost trance-like state. In an instant, before Europa could even blink, let alone any of her friends or servants could do anything to stop what was about to happen or to help her at all, Zeus, as this sparkling white bull, leapt into the sea and swims off. He swims and swims across the Mediterranean until he comes upon an island. By the time they reach the island, Europa is well aware that she is not riding on the back of a real bull. It's simply not possible. No, she is certainly on the back of a god in disguise. She isn't stupid. She knows what that means. Women of Greek mythology learned fast on that front. Zeus finally drops Europa on the island of Crete, a large island north of Egypt. He doesn't choose this island randomly, it's quite intentional. Whether it's for love, as this poet retold by Edith Hamilton notes, or simply Zeus's desires, which we all know well of, he brings her to the island on which he was raised, away from Kronos's prying eyes. You see, Zeus was raised on Mount Ida, on Crete, secreted away from his father, who was, you know, in the habit of eating his children. Another of my favorite stories, obviously. He brings her there to found a dynasty on the island, and in order to do that, as is Zeus's constant and horrific way, he rapes her. This poet would have you believe it's romantic. I beg to differ. Once on the island, finally on land, after however long at sea riding a bull's back, I would imagine Europa is at least momentarily relieved. But I say again, we can almost certainly interpret that what happens next is a rape by Zeus, because it's Zeus. What more can I say? Europa bears his children, a few of them actually. Europa's children by Zeus are Minos, Sarpedon, and Rhadamanthus. This is according to Apollodorus, though Homer in the Iliad would put Sarpedon as the son of Zeus by Laodamia, a section I just read in my reading of the Iliad the other day, so I felt that to clarify. In all instances, though, Minos and Rhadamanthus are brothers and sons of Europa, rewarded for their lives by becoming judges in the underworld upon their deaths. But this is about while they're living. On Crete, Europa marries the island's ruler, Asterios. Europa marries Asterios because Zeus leaves her immediately, of course. He certainly isn't one to hang around once he's gotten what he wants. The funniest thing is the beautiful telling by the poet speaks of their time together as though they've been married. Not bloody likely, dude. 
Europa marries Asterios, and they raise the children together, though they are not heirs. Everyone seems to know that Asterios is not the father. As teenagers, the brothers encounter their first trial as brothers. They all fall in love with the same boy, Miletos. Sexuality in ancient Greece, especially in mythology, so fascinatingly fluid. They all fall in love with Miletos, who was himself a son of Apollo, but he had a thing for Sarpedon and chose him. This, Apollodorus tells us, starts a whole war. I would have to imagine this is an exaggeration, because at this point, none of the boys actually rule Crete. How could they start a war against one another? They fight, though, that much is clear, and eventually Sarpedon and Miletos leave Crete together. Miletos ends up in a city that he names, well, Miletos, and Sarpedon ends up ruling the nearby city of Lycia. There, he rules as king for three generations. In other words, Sarpedon is fucking fancy. With Sarpedon gone, Minos and Radamanthus influence certain laws and the like in Crete, though their adoptive father, Asterios, still lives on as king for some time. Meanwhile, Minos marries a woman by the name of Pasiphae. Pasiphae is the daughter of Helios and a sea nymph, Perseus, a woman who is, in many versions, the sister of our very own Circe. Together, the two have quite the collection of children, the perks of horny Greeks and a lack of birth control. Their sons are named Catrius, Deucalion, Glaucus, and Androgios, and their daughters are Akali, Zanodici, Phaedra, and Ariadne. Some names there will stand out right away. Here's who you should know. Androgios, Phaedra, Ariadne. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a time, the people of Creed experience no more bull-related drama. Sure, they worship the animals and probably did some crazy cool bull-jumping choreography that they then painted onto beautiful walls, but for the time being, there are no more sexual bull experiences. Eventually, though, as is always the case, Asterios, the king of Creed and husband to Europa, dies, leaving the throne vacant. It's vacant because everyone knows that Minos and Rhadamanthus aren't his biological children, and he and Europa didn't seem to have any of their own. This is Greek mythology, so who really knows what happens to Europa? I feel like I remember it being something nice, but I've got four books open around me right now and can't find anything. What matters, because patriarchy, is that Asterios has died and the throne is free. It's up for the taking. Europa is, you know, somewhere. Minos immediately sets out to convince the people of Crete that the gods had willed him to be their king. He told them that he would prove it, that anything he prayed for would happen, and that that would prove that they had indeed granted him the kingship. At a sacrifice to Poseidon, Minos prayed to the god that he should send a bull from the depths of the sea, and that when it appeared on shore, Minos would sacrifice it in thanks to the god. This has always thrown me. Why ask for something that you would then immediately sacrifice? Seems a waste of a fancy bull from the sea. Why not just sacrifice any old bull? Lord knows you must have quite the collection of bulls on Crete, what with the obsession. However silly it may be, this is indeed what Minos asks for and promises. And this, of course, is the bull-related incident that sparks it all. Because Poseidon listens to Minos, and he does indeed send a bull up from the depths of the sea. A beautiful, simply stunning bull. This I do not relate to. I do not know how a bull can be that beautiful, but believe me, he is. We're about to find out just how beautiful a bull can be. Minos, you see, is so very taken with this bull that he can't sacrifice it. He just can't bring himself to do it. He can't do what he has just promised to a god. Is this a good idea? Backing out on a promise to a god? No, absolutely not. Does Minos learn the hard way? Absolutely, fucking he does. 
Instead of sacrificing the bull sent by Poseidon for this express purpose, Minos sacrifices another bull, just any old bull they had on the island. Basically, he listens to my criticism, but he does it too late. I was saying you should sacrifice another bull to begin with, not that you should promise one thing to a god and then do another. Never, ever do that. But that's what he does. And for that, a punishment must be doled out. But before you go thinking it's most rational for Poseidon to punish Minos, you know, the guy who actually made the mistake, then just take a step back and a second ask yourselves, is there a woman around to punish instead? Is the answer yes? Then you know what's about to happen. As is the way of the ancient Greeks, Minos' wife, Pasiphae, is the one punished for what Minos did to anger Poseidon. Poseidon causes Pasiphae to fall in love with the bull, and not a platonic love, the love of a person and their pet. No, not that. Poseidon has Pasiphae fall in love, passionately, desperately in love with this bull. He causes her not only to love this bull emotionally, but to become absolutely hell-bent on consummating that love. To put it bluntly, Poseidon causes Pasiphae to want to fuck the bull, just straight up have sex with it. Of course, for most of the ancient world, this might not actually lead to any problems. I mean, we don't need to get into the bestiality of it all because, oh, I don't want to get into that. But my point really is that there's a certain character on the island of Crete that makes Pasiphae's passions much, much more realistic than they would be if she didn't have access to this man. This man, of course, is an inventor, a famous one, named Daedalus. Because the thing about Daedalus is, well, he can really make you anything you could ever want or need. He's brilliant, creative, incredibly wildly skilled, and he's employed, or owned, really, by Minos and Pasiphae and the kingdom of Crete. He's at their disposal. This is ultimately what gets Pasiphae into the trouble she's about to get into. She goes to Daedalus and she asks him a favor. A very, very weird favor. A favor no one would ever want to be asked. Daedalus, she says, you're such a talented inventor, you can make anything. And, well, what I want you to make me is something anything, really, that would help me have sex with this bull that I've fallen so madly in love with. She isn't in her right mind, that much is clear. She's overtaken by the godly magic that Poseidon has placed upon her. She will do anything to have sex with the bull. Daedalus, well, I'm sure he's hesitant, or I hope he is. I hope she really has to convince him, or force him even, to make her the contraption that will allow her to have sex with the bull. But what we know for sure is, he does it. Daedalus builds a life-size, hollow, wooden cow. He builds a life-size, hollow, wooden cow and covers it in cowhide, real cowhide, so it smells like a real cow and, as much as it can, looks like a real cow. They place the cow in a meadow where the beloved bull usually grazes and, well, Pasiphae climbs inside this hollow wooden cow. I think you can imagine how it goes from here, or you've heard the early episode of this show and you've already heard me say it to you. 
This, friends, is the story that led me to the conclusion that I could have a lot of fun podcasting about this topic. Because, well, it's fucking insane. I mean, everyone knows the creature that results from this union. He's well known all over. But how he was conceived is a whole other story. Because yes, Pacifique climbs inside the hollow wooden cow. She positions herself and she waits. She waits until the bull she has fallen so deeply, desperately in love with finds her, the cow, in the meadow. He finds this wooden cow that smells like a real cow, it looks like a real cow, and so Pasiphae's very recent dreams that were entirely forced on her by Poseidon are realized. And not only does she successfully have sex with this poor, unsuspecting bull, but she becomes pregnant by it. The bull, meanwhile, seems also to be affected by what's happened. Over time, the bull becomes so savage and vicious that it begins absolutely terrorizing the island of Crete. The Cretan bull, they call it, and it becomes so violent and destructive that eventually Heracles is brought to the island and manages to take it away from them, saving Crete from further destruction by this bull. This was one of Heracles' twelve labors, capturing the so-called Cretan bull. He brings the bull back to mainland Greece and he sets it free, a rare decision in terms of these vicious animals that heroes set out to do away with. But it serves the story, because the bull eventually ends up then in Marathon, where, yes, it becomes known as the Marathonian bull. The same Marathonian bull that later kills Androgeos, Minos and Pasiphae's son, when he is sent by Aegeus to do away with the Marathonian bull. Before looking into Theseus again, I didn't know that this was the same bull or that it had such widespread implications not only for Crete but for Athens and generally for heroism in ancient Greece. In hindsight, I probably did know. I may have even told you guys back in the Taurus episode because this bull is also the constellation Taurus, but also maybe the Minotaur and Pasiphae are the constellation Taurus, but there have just been too many myths running through my brain for too many years now. Whether I knew it before or not, though, the fact that this bull is the father of the forthcoming Minotaur, the bull from Heracles' labors, the bull that kills Androgeos, and the bull that Theseus will next seek out is truly something else. In so many different ways, it ruins the family of Minos and the people of Crete. And yes, historically, these people took bulls on as their cultural image. It's just fucking fascinating, really. But we will get back to Theseus and what at that time will be known as the Marathonian Bull. For now, Pasiphae is pregnant. What she's pregnant with, they don't yet know. When Pasiphae finally gives birth, it's exactly what you think it is. She gives birth to the Minotaur, half man, half bull, all monster. The Minotaur, of course, is top half bull and bottom half man, making him, one presumes, have the brain of a bull, but the abilities of a man. Also, as far as the story goes in some sources, he is far, far more vicious than any bull could or ever would reasonably be. Pasiphae names him Asterios, after her husband's adoptive father, the man Europa married when she traveled to Crete, herself riding a bull. 
I wanted to find out if the scene in Madeline Miller's Cersei when Cersei travels to Crete to help her entirely delusional sister Passive give birth to the Minotaur is accurate, but sadly I can't find reference to it. It may have been a fun added detail in Madeline Miller's part, or maybe it's in a source I can't find. I think we can imagine Cersei had it pretty correct in how the birth would go, though. The Minotaur is a fascinating character of Greek mythology. There are so many types of creature that are half human and half animal. Centaurs are half man, half horse. Satyrs are half man, half goat. But they all have the top half man, and therefore reasonable brains and human intelligence. The Minotaur seems to have neither. He's top half bull and all monster. The centaurs are mostly vicious, but there's also Chiron, so there's balance. They are also species of a creature, whereas the Minotaur is a one-off, a monstrosity. I want to describe him as simply a mistake, but that doesn't seem right either, given how and why Pasiphae fell in love with the Cretan bull to begin with. However you want to interpret the Minotaur, though he's an anomaly. Nothing like him appears anywhere else in Greek mythology. Famous last words, I have not read everything in Greek mythology, but I think I'm right. From its first moments of life, the Minotaur can't be contained. It's violent and horrible even as a baby. It's immediately clear that this will not be a normal child, even ignoring the fact that, well, it has a bull for a head. It all comes full circle when Pasiphae and Minos call upon the same man that built the contraption for her to conceive the Minotaur, asking him to build something equally creative and ingenious to now contain the Minotaur. Or some say it was the Oracle's doing, that Minos instructed Daedalus to build a labyrinth for the Minotaur, that it was the Oracle who told him that the Minotaur can't be left free. Taking it even further, Robert Graves says that Minos had the labyrinth built due to the Oracle and that inside it he locked up not only the Minotaur but Pasiphae too. That's beyond extra. But I also checked the two sources Graves referenced for that and couldn't find a reference to Pasiphae being locked up. But... No matter if she's in there with the Minotaur or why he's to be locked up at all, Daedalus gets to work building the famed labyrinth. Oh, thank you all for listening to this bull-related diversion. It's vital to understanding what's next for our less-than-heroic hero, Theseus. Bulls, bulls, bulls. So we'll be back next time, probably with more of Theseus and why it matters so much that I've just told you so much about bulls. It's relevant, I promise. If you've been listening to this since the beginning, then you know why, but you will know so much more now and it will be so much fun. And now I give you a quick clip of the most entertaining and ranty portion of the episode that I've just recorded with the podcast, Drinking and Screaming. Char and Kelly are awesome, and it would be amazing if you would subscribe to their podcast and listen to my episode. It comes out next Monday. Enjoy. It's baffling to me that, like, is it just supposed to show that Mo is out of ideas, so he has to go to this awful person? Like, we weren't supposed to be sympathetic, were we? I, the thing is, I can never tell because Mo is also not remotely an appealing Not lead. at all. He's, he's also awful, though not as awful. But he's, like, very obnoxious and also kind of predatory, if not quite as it overtly. Like, all the, but like, so waitress scenes. Like, oh, yeah. hey, pretty. I don't remember how he says it, but ugh. Yes, it's like he has 
has to say something gross anytime he interacts with a woman of any sort. It's like, well, I don't know. I guess it makes sense because Moe's also awful. So if he needs help, he's going to go to this horrific man who happens to have that. Ah, so fucking fun. That movie is insane. You guys, unreal madness. You should watch it. You should listen to the podcast. You would have such a look into what I was like as a preteen when I found that movie and just lived for it. It's insane. Anyway, as usual, I would love if you would rate, review, subscribe. There's a new Patreon episode up. Also, um, a Patreon companion to the episode on Skilla, her love for Minos from a couple of episodes ago. And soon there will be episodes where I and Ryan Stitt of the History of Ancient Greece podcast talk all about the history and mythology in Disney's Hercules the TV show, a show I was deeply devoted to as a child in the 90s and one that I now see had some incredible mythology researchers on staff. It's badass. It also basically had every famous person of the 90s playing even just a one-off character. It's something else, you guys. Thank you. You're all so wonderful. Please stay safe and healthy and wash your hands. I'm Liv and I love this shit. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. 
with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.